Our last scripture lesson comes to us from the book of Exodus, from the 16th chapter. The whole congregation of the Israelites complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots and ate our fill of bread. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to rain bread from heaven for you, and each day the people shall go out and gather enough for that day. In that way I will test them whether they will follow my instruction or not. The Lord spoke to Moses and said, I've heard the complaining of the Israelites. So say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, in the morning you shall have your fill of bread, and then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening, quails came up and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp, and when the layer of dew lifted there on the surface of the wilderness was a fine flaky substance, as fine as frost on the ground. When the Israelites saw it, they said to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it's the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather as much of it as each of you needs, an omer to a person according to the number of persons, all providing for those in their own tents. The Israelites did so. Some gathered more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, those who gathered much had nothing over, and those who gathered little had no shortage. They gathered as much as each of them needed. And Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it over to the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it until morning, and it bred worms, and it became foul, and Moses was angry with them. And morning by morning they gathered it, as much as they needed, but when the sun grew hot, it melted. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. On January 29th of this year, 1,100 words and sub-entries were added to the Oxford English Dictionary. Aren't you happy that I'm filled with such incredibly important knowledge? 1,100 entries, and the dictionary kind of uh, made a stir by adding one word in particular, and that word was hangry. Hangry. Yes, the colloquial blending of hungry and angry. It now has a proper place in the English language. Hangry is defined as irritable and bad-tempered, as a result of hunger, irritable and bad-tempered as a result of, anger, of hunger. And I want to suggest this morning that this word hanger actually is the perfect word to talk about what was happening to the Israelites here in this story in Exodus. God's people, as you remember, had just been through a profound experience of grace and mercy. Remember, they had just been delivered from Pharaoh. 
delivered out of slavery and into freedom. They had walked on dry land through the Red Sea. They had watched Pharaoh's army actually be crushed by that same sea. They had seen with their own eyes salvation, their salvation, the salvation of their loved ones, the salvation of their people. They'd experienced God's power and God's protection in mighty and immediate ways. But in this morning's passage, can we try this? In this morning's passage in Exodus 16, ooh, that's much better. Thank you. In Exodus 16, I want you to know that 45 days had passed. 45 days of wilderness living. 45 days of thinking about the future and being concerned about what was going to happen. 45 days of camping and walking and worrying. And that's when they started to, well, be bad-tempered, right? Or to be irritable. Moses, what have you done to us? They cried. You brought us out here to die? At least in Egypt, we had enough to eat. If this keeps up, we're going to starve to death. You see, they're hangry, right? Bad-tempered and irritable due to hunger. But here's what I find interesting. Nowhere does Scripture tell us that the Israelites were about to run out of food or that they were in danger of starving. If you read the Exodus story, it's not there. It's unclear from the book of Exodus that there's a food crisis of any kind. What is clear is that there's a crisis of faith. They are hangry, bad-tempered and irritable because they hunger for security. They hunger for hope. They hunger for a future which is seemingly out of their reach. And they cry out to Moses, feed us. And then Moses cries out to God, feed them. And the good news, the good news is that God has an answer. God always has an answer. And God reveals faithfulness and mercy as he responds to their cry. And the answer, the answer is manna. Manna, bread from heaven. This bread will keep the Israelites alive in the wilderness. It'll be a constant source of nourishment for them, but even more importantly, this manna will feed their faith. It will feed their hope. It will teach them to walk daily with their God. It will teach them to trust their God, whose mercies are literally new every morning. So the 40-year teaching experiment begins. The 40-year test begins. And manna comes from heaven every day, except the Sabbath, but that's another story. And a daily rhythm of grace begins. As Israel does their part, gathering the manna as they've been instructed, God does God's part and provides. As they trust God's goodness, God is merciful and faithful. As they obey God's commands, God's love flows into their lives 
and God's mercy into their community. Friends, manna in the wilderness is the foundational story of God setting a table for God's people. Here we see God inviting Israel to come to the table, the table prepared for them day by day, to come to the table, the Lord says, come every day, come and learn of my faithfulness and grace, come and find life. Isn't that wonderful? But here's what I want to remind you this morning. There's more to the Exodus story. And if you were to read the entire story, well, you would find that God's people often have trouble with this manna thing, this bread from heaven, this daily small portion of grace that was to sustain them and teach them to lean into and trust their God. They have trouble with this manna thing because, well, sometimes they just didn't think it was enough. They weren't satisfied. They dreamed of four-course meals and life no longer on the road. And sometimes the daily discipline of having to go out and gather just enough, just one omer per person of this manna, well, it got old. And they began to wonder if there were a better way, an easier way to get this done. And sometimes, as we read, they tried to stockpile or hoard the manna, right? Just in case God forgets to bring it tomorrow, just in case God can't be trusted. And of course, they would hoard it, and then it would get rotten, and they would have to be sent out again the next day to gather God's gracious provision all over again. Learning to trust the manna was never easy for the people of God. In 2005, the life of my young family got a little complicated. I had three small children and my youngest was just going into kindergarten and so I decided I wasn't busy enough and besides being co-pastor of a large church and having three small children, I decided to start my doctoral work that year. I remember sitting down with Al and we came up with a plan, came up with a strategy, how this was all going to work. But it included me taking one day a week, Thursdays, leaving early in the morning and not returning until late at night when the kids were already in bed. So we sat the kids down and we explained to them that things were going to change just a little bit, that mommy was going to be gone on Thursdays and this is what would happen and she wouldn't be there for dinner and she wouldn't be there for bedtime, but everything was going to be fine. And my oldest and my youngest, they couldn't care less, you know, they listened and yeah, 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 and then they left. But my middle child, he was almost seven. He was listening very, very closely. He had a somber look on his face. And eventually, his little lips started to quiver. And tears were in his eyes. And Al looks at him and says, Buddy, buddy, what's the matter? Why are you so upset? And he was trying so hard to be brave. And he was saying, Well, well, it's just that I'm afraid I'm going to be really hungry on Thursdays. <laughs> 
And Al couldn't believe it. He's like, dude, you've been my kid for seven years. I have never let you go hungry. Really? Really? You think you're not going to eat? But he couldn't fathom in his little mind dinner when mom wasn't home. So we said, you know what? You're going to have dinner. There will be food. And the minute he heard that, no more tears. He was fine. Off he went. Children do need to be reminded, right, again and again that they're safe, that they're loved, that we're going to provide for them. But according to Scripture, people of faith need reminding and need teaching as well. Friends, we live in a hangry time, don't we? The people around us The world around us, our very souls become bad-tempered and irritable with hunger. Hunger for justice, hunger for peace, hunger for a future and for hope, hunger for the kingdom of God to be here on earth as it is in heaven. Don't you feel that hunger? Don't you feel that hunger? Can't you hear it in the speech of those around you? Can't you even hear it in the whispers of your own heart? Our world and our families, our souls, they cry out to God, feed us. And the good news, the good news is that God knows our need. As surely as God knew the needs of those Israelites wandering in that wilderness, God knows your heart. God knows my heart. God knows the heart of your family, the heart of this congregation. God knows our world, and he knows our need and can supply our need. In fact, God still feeds us with manna. Yes, manna is still God's answer. Food from heaven, food that feeds our faith and our hope, food that teaches us to trust and to lean into God's grace. Isaiah 55 put it this way, come and without money, you can buy food. Listen carefully and eat what is good. Listen and come to me. Listen and you will live. Do you hear it? God calling us to the table God calling us to do our part, God calling us to the daily gathering of the bits and pieces of mercy that are meant to lead us to greater faith and hope. God calling us to lean on God's provision and grace, God's manna for this day, just for this day, so we can taste and see that God is good. But let me warn you, about this manna, this bread from heaven, these tiny pieces of grace that drop into our lives every day. Let me warn you, we rarely think that they are enough, right? We rarely think that they are enough. It's not that we're ungrateful, mind you, but we can usually conjure up a better scenario than the one that grace brings us. Grace will bring us an opportunity for reconciliation, and we would rather have full repentance from the one who hurt us, right? 
Grace brings us enough money to pay the bills, and we want six months' expenses in the bank. Grace brings us a job or a task or a relationship that includes some joy and strength for our life, and we want something grander, bigger, better. And don't even get me started about the church, okay? The church. The church where no worship service, no music selection, no sermon, no program is good enough for perfectionistic staff members or consumeristic people who are members of the church. Where God's grace and mercy are dispensed, even lavished, and yet become devalued because there's probably something better out there. There's probably something better yet to come when that new pastor gets here, right? I was a guest of honor once at a church in a very small village in Africa. We were headed there, and I didn't know that as the guest of honor, I was to bring the meat for the meal. So I stopped at a roadside, I don't even want to tell you what it was like, place where goats were being distributed. Um, And I bought whatever goat was left over. Now these are African goats, they're not very meaty, okay? But I bought as much as I could get and arrived at the village just hoping that the group was small because there wasn't going to be a lot of meat. We got there and there were 60 people waiting and my package of meat, you know, was really small. I gave it to the cooks and they began to cook the lunch and for hours as they were cooking, I worried and worried and worried that there wasn't enough, there wasn't enough, all these people and not enough meat. And when the stew got put in front of us, my worst fears were realized because it was pretty clear that everyone sitting there would get maybe a quarter of an ounce of meat, right? It just wasn't very much. And the pastor of the church sat down and prayed, prayed both in his language and in English and in his prayer said, God, thank you. Thank you for this feast that you have brought for us. Thank you that we will all have a taste of meat for the first time in months. Thank you that there will be just enough for all of us. Just enough. That's the thing about manna. It's always just enough. Just enough to help us grow in faith. Just enough to show the greatness of our God. And that brings me to one more thing about manna. God's grace that comes to us every day, day by day. You see, we want to rely on yesterday's grace and mercy instead of seeking grace and mercy for this day. We want to take our energy and inspiration from what has been instead of doing the hard work of gathering manna for today. There is nothing wrong with our faith being informed by the past, but faith, real faith, must be experienced in the present. Churches can't live in the past. They can't go back to what inspired them or challenged them 20 years ago. 
No, churches have to do the hard work of seeking God's grace and mercy, God's presence and direction for today. And the same is true for you and me. There's nothing sadder as a pastor than meeting someone in a life crisis trying to deal with that crisis with small child faith or borrowed faith. No, each of us must arrive in this day, in this time, in whatever we face with faith that is alive and breathing, faith that is new and specific for this day. I cannot imagine being your pastor with the faith I had 10 years ago. No, I need every bit of grace that has dropped into my life over these last 10 years. I need every bit of it, each and every day, and so do you. And it's hard work, and it takes some discipline to gather God's mercies every day. You know that. It takes prayer. It takes reading Scripture. It takes studying Scripture. It takes worship regularly, daily. There is no shortcut to gathering manna. There is no easier way. Yet so many starve their faith and their hope and their souls rather than come to the table of grace laid out for us. One of the worst jobs I was ever given at Presbytery was to go to this church where there was a conflict, and I was supposed to be a listener. You know what that meant? It meant I got to sign up for a whole day of sitting in a room, and every 20 minutes, a new church member would come in so I could listen to all their complaints. I did this for six hours. I'll never do it again. But there's one woman in particular in that church who I will never forget. Because she came in and she was loaded for bear. She had all kinds of things to tell me about her church. And mainly, she wanted me to know that her church was not feeding her anymore. And she had all kinds of reasons why and all kinds of people that she could point to that were keeping her from being fed in her church. And she ended at about minute 18 by saying, you know, I feel so far from God. We had two minutes left, and I said, well, can I ask you a couple of questions? She said, sure. I said, so I noticed all of these Bible studies are being offered at your church. Are you in any of them? Oh, no. Well, on Sunday morning, I see that there are classes. Are you in any of those classes? Are you coming to worship? Nope, nope, haven't done that in six or seven months. Don't come to worship. Well, do you pray? Do you read your Bible? Nope, nope, I can't do any of that either. And I literally said to her, well, I think I understand why your faith and hope and your soul are starving. Friends, your church can set the table. Your church can even invite you to the table the way we've done this August. Your church can allow the grace of God somehow, some mis- in mysterious ways, to even drop the manna of grace onto the table. But if you aren't there, if you don't go to gather for yourself for this day and for this time, the truth is you'll starve. 
In John's gospel in the sixth chapter, Jesus looked out on a large crowd of people. They all came to him because they heard he gave out free bread. They'd heard about the multiplication of the loaves and the fishes. So they had all come. They'd all come for bread. But as Jesus looked out upon them, he could tell that they were hangry for so much more than free bread. My father sends bread that gives life to the world, Jesus said. My father sends bread that gives nourishment for your hope, nourishment for your faith, nourishment for your soul. And when the people heard this, they said, that's the bread we want. Give it to us, Jesus. Give it to us. And Jesus said, I, I am the bread of life. I'm the bread of life, so come. Come to the table that God is setting for you through my teaching, through my life, through my death, through my resurrection. Come to this table and follow me. Come to be fed in a way that will teach you to trust, teach you to love, teach you to live in joy. Come to the table and come every day. Come and live. Let us pray. God, in your goodness, you never stop sending manna. Bits and bits of grace and truth and teaching. Bits and bits of energy and love and inspiration. Help us to come and receive what you lay out for us. Help us to come to your table. In Jesus' name, amen.